Welcome to In Such Tlinkwikatl. This is a podcast about poetic thinking where we share with you a different perspective of the social world. Every episode, we take a topic or a concept and we use the lens of philosophy, psychology, mythology, and art to analyze the wonderful horrors of the modern world. In this episode, we explore the concept of the upside down, its relevance to the dream world and the ways it is understood and represented in some examples of popular media. My name is Andrea Padilla. And my name is Andrea Martinez. And we've been gone for a year. We yeah. Took a, a, a year break. Um, unintentionally, intentionally. Well, I guess in a way, at least my life got a little upside down for a while. Mm -hmm. And um, so upside down that I am not longer uh, geographically where I was. And um, and you yourself uh, made some choices and you might not be where you are. I mean... Soon enough, yes. Soon, soon enough. enough, yeah. <laughs> um, but for the moment, I'm still in Dublin, Ireland. And Andrea, where are you now? I am in Loreto, Baja California Sur, historical capital of the Californias. Um, but uh, we had talked about uh, this episode for a very long time. Uh, we have been planning the return for months and then the months just went by and we didn't do anything. So we decided that we were going to talk about the concept of the upside down because we have both watched The Sandman. If you don't know what The Sandman is, Andreita, maybe you can tell us a bit more because I don't have a, a very good memory about the details. Well, it was, um, I guess it started, I, I was reading also a book called The Dreaming in the Underworld by James Hillman, who is an archetypical psychologist. And at the same time, The Sandman boomed on Netflix. And that kind of reminded me of uh, another very, very popular show on Netflix called Stranger Things that we are not particular fans. I mean, I've watched the first season at least um, and was interested by it but regardless of my liking of uh, or our liking of it uh the concept is there uh, this mm -hmm. this thing of the upside down and then we started well yeah talking about what is this upside down um i gotta say to our viewers listeners that we are a little bit rusty so we'll see how this goes i feel we are very prepared and unprepared at the same time so, but yeah, I always kind feel of a, we are very prepared and unprepared at the same time. That's always this, my feeling. This time a little bit more for me, but okay. yeah, this time a little bit less for me. <laughs> oh, oh well, there you are. We are. It's it's a kind of an it's upside, upside down. down. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think just to start with the Sandman and um, Stranger Things. So two two themes emerge from both shows one is the theme of the dream world and the dream world in itself as an upside down that Andreita will talk more about in terms of Hillman and the other theme that emerges is the theme of duality 
right? So Western thought is very much characterized by a dual understanding of reality. Uh, if you think in terms of uh, Plato, uh, Plato, right? The world of forms and the world of shadows, uh, obviously Christianity, heaven and hell, uh, good and evil. And uh, that uh, same dualism, um, obviously you can cite Descartes as well, um, and uh, it, it it's repeated in, of course, every understanding that we have of reality. And it's there in the upside down of Stranger Things. I, as you said, I, I quite dislike the show, although I've watched the whole thing. Because once <laughs> I start, I cannot stop. Um, but the, that there is that that the separation, right? There is no continuum, but like there is this understanding in Stranger Things that the upside down is evil and terrible and dark, and the real world where Eleven and all her friends are fighting to to save is the good place, right? Right. Um, yeah. I guess that is one of the and in our in our society in our contemporary society and and kind of symbolic thought that is the tendency to um make emphasis on the dichotomy of things and so this upside down that or this uh shadow part of life uh gets um how do you say this in english i've also i'm also rusty in the english language now how do you uh, it gets reduced to only evil for instance yeah and um and in in the sandman this kind of happens as as well but in terms of dream world because the for Gaiman, there is uh nightmares and dreams, right? They're mm -hmm. different things. Mm -hmm. And here is something that uh Hillman starts exploring that he says dreams belong to the underworld, mm -hmm. the psychic underworld, and this underworld is the upside down of day life. So, in a way all dreams become nightmarish or are nightmarish. And, and I've been doing a little study of my own with my dreams, you know, recalling them and what have you, and asking people like yourself and others, like, isn't, is this true? Like, ha have you experienced this? And the answer has most of the, of the time been yes. Because even though things are going great in the dream, something happens and that starts collapsing in, in some way. And, 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 it be, and it becomes this thing where you have to run from something or you get an infestation of insects or you are making love to your significant other, but it's, it's not him or her or them. It's, yeah. some, it's, it's, <laughs> the other <laughs> and i think well we come from a tradition um uh of the interpretation of dreams that it begins well, like in in psychoanalysis right begins with freud and so you have like texts texts like dora case of hyster hyster hysteria 
where like and I, I you can tell me how different that is from Hillman um but where he analyzes um all her dreams um and there's always going to be a a a symbol of sexual desire um or like you know the the death drive or the the sex drive right so they're like reading dora a case of hysteria it's quite entertaining not because you actually uh, necessarily believe that his interpretation of the dreams are correct but because how intricate is his interpretation like you wouldn't arrive uh, so simply at understanding that the fire of the house and the box like the box in that she, where she put um necklace or i can't remember what it was in is symbolizes her vagina for instance right like he he he's very he elaborates this world this dream world and it and its meanings that um i think over the years and uh over the pro progress and evolution of psychoanalysis it's changed how we view dreams and as you were saying right now like dreams in general tend to be a little bit nightmarish and i when I was younger, I used to be freaked out because I had a very Freudian understanding of my dreams. Where I'd be like, "Oh my god!" Like, because uh, I, I, I often dream like my dreams. Not often, but like at times they've involved incest, right? Not, not necessarily with my father, but like with uh, people in my family, right? And I've woken up or completely like, you know, freaked out. I mean buy it i feel like what does this mean um but you know as as i've gotten older i see that like the significance is not you know uh like the meaning it's not it's not it's literal. not only or or i might say well yeah first of all it's not literal or it's and this is what hillman brings to the table and i think it's very interesting and he kind of does a synthesis of both uh, Freud and Jung's uh, interpretation of dreams or ways to interpret the dream. Um, the thing with Freud, and that is why we wake up terrified when we, you know, dream of incest. And I, I guess incest would be the biggest, you know, like <gasps> situation for most mortals in yeah. Western society. Uh, it's because Freud, for Freud or Freudian psychology, I would say, dreams are repressed repressions. It's all about repressed mm -hmm. fantasies and, and the repressed. And that is what Hillman wants to kind of clean or, you know, take aside because it generates a lot of anguish to begin with also for us neurotic types. Mm -hmm. And it's not only that. For young, for instance, it has to do with what our archetypes are at play you know mm -hmm. so you have to yeah you have to kind of see if I'm dreaming of you for instance what kind of archetype are you representing in my play of the dream and in that way uh, again theater becomes a symbol for something theater in terms of play because there's it's an uh um, a scene that's been, that's taking place yeah. in the dream as well. And for Hillman, he kind of does, um, he takes those two and he puts them together and he mixed them a little bit more with 
alchemy, for instance, in terms of the process of the transmutation of the substance, that the substance has to go through a lot of process, uh, different processes that involve things that for our very, um, how do you say, well, clean and moral uh, worldview mm-hmm. can be kind of frightening. That is uh, the rottening, for instance, the putrefactio of mm-hmm. uh, the process of, uh, of, of rotting and this kind of thing. But it's this is a process from which life will spring again. Mm-hmm. And in that way, what Hillman's, uh, for Hillman, the um, dreaming as underworld, the, the dream world as underworld and, and as this upside down of life, that's, it has to do with this, with the, this in very, a digestive process mm-hmm. of life. Let's right. kind of put it that way. And so, I think maybe that's why um, in the Sandman, um, the Dream King is it? Is it? Is it the Dream King? Yes, uh, the, dream the Dream King. King. Sorry, Tori Amos also t- uh, talks about her, the Dream King in in her so- songs. Do you remember? And it's hanging of, out, it's hanging out with the Dream King. Yeah, it's because they are friends. Oh, Tori Amos is um, one of our favorite singers of uh, Andrea and myself since uh, high school, um, and uh, that's why he uh, Neil. Gaiman gives so much importance to the character of the of the Dream King. Orpheus is uh, his name is Orpheus. No? Morpheus. Morf- Morpheus. Morpheus. No, actually, Morpheus. No, actually, just fun fact for the people that uh, enjoy mythology here. Gaiman creates a new origin for Orpheus mm-hmm. through yes, that's right. Sandman. Yes. Yeah, and I find this beautiful because for him. Uh, Orpheus is the son of Calliope, which she is all, most of the time the mother of Orpheus, or mm-hmm. some of the time, and the Dream King. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just very, um, it's it's beautiful and it's nice to see the poets out there, you know, making their own, um, this, uh, the mythologic tradition that goes, you know, thousands of years back. But, and also fact for the ones that like the Sandman, uh, we didn't, we didn't see this character inside this season, but we might see her in the future. The um, endless called delirium. Mm-hmm. It has been said that uh, through the relationship with Tori Amos, he has drawn many things uh, off Tori and put them in this character called delirium. Really? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And and for those that are very hardcore fans of this kind of thing of the 90s, mm-hmm. um, which is everybody right now, uh, <laughs> um, Trent Reznor, the vocalist and of Nine Inch Nails and just general great musician and producer, mm-hmm. also uh, it is said allegedly that Gaiman also drew from this this Reznor of the 90s of the downward downward spiral 1995 you know this kind of thing to um represent Morpheus and I mean I can see the the relation between them yes absolutely yeah he was like a broken man but who also wrote hurt 
right? Which is one of the most beautiful songs of the 90s, right? Uh, broken, uh, like kind of like badass and yet vulnerable. Um, yeah, kind of like the dream king. Kind of like the dream king, yeah. Um, so you mentioned the 90s. I mean, we can go back uh, to the to the upside down um, later on, but it, because you mentioned the 90s, just thinking about Stranger Things, you know, the, the popular TV Netflix series, um uh and not not just the 90s but the but also the 80s because i think it's also um draws from the goonies the goonies is uh from the 80s i believe the oh, yeah yeah like the yeah. goonies and lost boys and yeah. the breakfast club or what have you mm-hmm. yeah so uh initially the tv series was praised and criticized for this right for being um, a, a weird replica of, or, or a good, depending on who you asked, a good replica of that kind of atmosphere. Uh, even the music by the Dust Brothers uh, was very similar to, to, to the music from from the time from the eighties, late eighties. And then, um, so there, there is a, a concept by Mark Fisher. Mark Fisher um, is a. Uh, uh, writer that um, committed suicide, um, a very, very good writer. And he talks about the concept of ontology. And I think ontology and upside down are related. Um, so he says ontology is these kind of places or music or media that is trying to replicate the feeling of the 80s or the 90s or, 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 or a previous time. Um, so for yeah like the nostalgia right for the past so what he explains is that for example electronic music when it began it was meant to sound futuristic but at a certain point between 90s 90s and 2000s it stopped sounding futuristic it stopped changing and basically he says that part of the um the sentiment is also that we have lost our future so we long for the past the future that we were promised by whatever all these sci-fi movies right uh what, what was going to happen in 2000 you think of blade runner or so um it never co- came to fruition like the prom the, the future that we were promised never arrived um and so he called it he calls it a lost future um in terms you can think about it in terms of technology but also in terms of like the betterment of humankind of course that hasn't happened uh, nor why would it um and so he terms this ontology, right? So you see it in TV shows like Stranger Things. But also I was thinking about this because last night I was in a bar that is a 90s bar. I think that this is that this is like part of the miasma in terms of original sin mm-hmm. of the 20th century that that's the century where we lost our future mm-hmm. because I remember like when I was 12 living here in Loreto and wearing these uh, dresses with like uh, daisies and this kind of thing, like very, very sharp green and daisies or the happy face. Yay. And, my mom, and my mom would say, these are all from my time. Yeah. So in that sense, I think that, and if you also think about it, like in the 80s, we, uh, or early 90s, 
We have movies like uh, Stand By Me or um, The Sandlot or, yeah, I these two are the ones that come to mind at the moment mm -hmm. that are set in the 50s mm -hmm. in this um, idyllic suburban America of the 50s and what and the adventures of kids you know uh, there so I think this is more of a trait that started in the 20th century and or got a boost in the 20th century and is not leaving because there is also this phrase I don't know how to translate it in English but I'll just do it literally that says uh, all time past was better mm-hmm Yeah, this it's part of this, yes, it's of this part, idea of the yeah. lost paradise. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I agree partially um, because I think there are differences between period pieces, right? Like historical period pieces um, in terms of movies and television. And then there is um, what what uh, Mark Fisher refers to, which is our inc inability to conceive of a different world a, a radically different world that that is an ability that we lost now of course mark mark fisher blames capitalism um for it but basically all these movies that came out right like alien i, I was a huge fan of sigourney weaver uh, in alien and all these types of films they they um imagined a world that it was radically different from ours and now we just see a lot of like repeats right like a lot of the 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 movies that come out well they're rehashing they're rehash yeah yeah yeah. Right. all these big hits That's in it. hollywood are like you know they're just remaking stuff constantly now it's like more inclusive more lgbt more politically appropriate but there is no creation of a new thing right and i think that aspect of um of our current world is a little bit like It's related to the upside down in that when you enter these spaces, right, um, such as, I mean, maybe the bar is not a great uh, example, but like, you know, that this that they long for that lost future or whatever, it feels a little bit like upside down, right? I think that's kind of, that would be the connection that I would establish between those two. That is what my my dad and my mom kind of have said in separate times to me. Like, why why are you fantasizing? Not me, but you people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> why are you fantas constantly fantasizing with this thing when we were all trying to leave that and make the world, you know, something different or whatever? Mm -hmm. I mean, if if. I, I would argue if creating something new is possible, but I do think that you can, the complexity of things can, can be the addition of it. Like Sandman, like Neil Gaiman making the dream King Orpheus's father. Mm -hmm. But in this sense, like these new versions that just become kind of more inclusive, that's, Like that's that well, that's part of the agenda. And in a way, it's great. We must like I am not opposed at all to the the world of inclusion, but there is this obsessive thought that is kind of putting the world upside down mm -hmm. because we are losing, I think, kind of 
uh, other uh, points of vision that we could be um, making our lives uh, richer in terms of poetics, for instance. Mm -hmm. So just to close with this whole rehashing of our world, which I wouldn't say we are the first to do so, but this is an obsessive trend. I have to, and if you haven't watched it, go watch it right now. I have to quote or cite or just mention South Park. Mm -hmm. um, they have these, I think it's a trilogy of episodes. They, they, they have this tradition where they do kind of trilogies. I don't remember precisely, but I think it is. Anyway, what Randy discovers is that everyone is wrapped in this nostalgia. Mm -hmm. And he discovers that this nostalgia is linked to these berries that everybody's been eating. And they close up on the berries and the berries go like, member, do you member, 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 whatever, you know, like member <laughs> of the music of ladies, member berries, and they're member berries. And how this is a kind of poison because it doesn't allow them to, you know, well, digest in terms of James Hillman, mm -hmm. uh, digest our context, ourselves, and what have you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, just to close with that as well, just, I was just thinking like, you know, that, um, well, two things. Uh, nostalgia, right? The looking at the past is also like, I think from a psychoanalytic point of view, um, not meant to be very positive way of coping, right? If you are always like thinking back to what didn't happen, it's one of those um uh, I think uh, it's also an element of depression, right? That if the if the past has always been better, right, then there is no reason to look ahead. Um, so I mean that kind of uh, proposes a diagnosis for for our our looking at the past constantly. And second, um, just on this Mark Fisher uh, thing of like not being able to imagine a different world, he also says, right, we can't imagine a world that is not in a capitalist system, right? So it's kind of, I mean, he he always, he's always doing like a little bit of social analysis in terms of capitalism, but obviously that um, feeds into everything else. Yes, yeah, so I'm gonna stretch a little bit more with the, with the concept of coping and how in psychology to be a little bit too nostalgic or too melancholic is uh, also a trait of not being able to cope and can lead to, well, depression and this kind of stuff. Uh, what Hillman says, um, recovering him as well, what, what Hillman says is that we must face forward the whole of the cracks of the underworld and slip through them. I say cracks, I say whole, because those are uh, symbolic images for uh, the way to the underworld, the cave, mm -hmm. uh, the snake holes, the, just the regular cracks, which are a, rec a recurrent image of dreaming you know this infestation of of insects for instance that come through a tiny hole in the wall mm -hmm. or just um the a, a mold in in the um 
in the on the ceiling or on mm -hmm. just on regular construction this Something kind of thing that like for... sneaks through yeah exactly that is the underworld content the upside down trying to sneak in and uh move your psychic um well your psychic world so in that sense uh what he invites us to is not to be afraid and if we are being chased or if we are being infested or if if we are you know shown a black door you know just face forward to this which i might add um is pretty difficult to do in our times because um i mean i this 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 recurring um conquest or conquering or the conquering i would say of the safe space for instance mm -hmm. doesn't allow the face forward and then the coping and i'm not saying with this that there are various things that should be lo looked and have been overlooked regarding violence in classrooms and in general social dynamics you know and that that's part of of the woke agenda that that that's part of the what the the woke agenda brings to the table you know to to be sensitive to these, to many other things that we weren't sensitive before. But I would say that we must be in this terms, well, I guess I'm gonna massacre, I'm gonna do a massacre here and say, let's not forget Taoism in the sense of the way of the middle. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we Westerners, we forget the middle completely. So and it I becomes say... it becomes hyper protective, right? Like the, the this wokeness that you're talking about, and also, you know, this inability or preventing one from into into the into the upside down or into the underworld, or whatever. Um, and I think that starts uh, from early childhood in Western countries, right? Like where. Um, the safety of the baby is like the most like I mean, of course, the safety of the baby is important, but how safe? So how safe do uh, how safe is too safe? You know? Yeah. I mean, like, um, you know how they the, in in I think it's in the in the United States they put baby they baby proof the apartments right. I didn't grow up in a baby proofed house. Neither did you. And I didn't break my head. I mean, yeah, no. it takes one time I mean, I learned... for you to hit the corner yeah. of a table for you to know that, okay, that hurts. Yeah, I'm Go not going to do that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think that's part of the same. Um, uh... Also, I'm going to interrupt you here because I do think that in that way, the society has become a little bit upside down, whatever the upside was. Uh, which is this overdiagnosis of things like mm -hmm. I have, I have anxiety. I have la 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 la. I agree. Before, like, uh, many of us, I guess, were not diagnosed from mm -hmm. many from you know just ADHD. You know, mm -hmm. you know, I. It wasn't uh, in 
it wasn't the fashion to go to the psychiatrist, neurologist, and you know, why is my child this hyperactive? Because it's completely, um, it's reduced to a moral sickness to be, you know, to have some kind of condition. It becomes part of condition. the identity. It becomes part of the identity of the person or um, as a, uh, Georg, who uh, Hans Georg Moller would say, a part of the profile, right? Then you are ADHD. Our friend. Our friend. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and just just let me let me finish uh, that point because I was actually watching Gavor Mate, uh, who is a um, psychotherapist on trauma. He's great. He's 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 an excellent uh, excellent psychotherapist, and he has um, uh, amazing son whose name is Aaron Mate, who um, I watch regularly in political analysis. Um, but what he says about ADHD, I think you you would enjoy that is that. Um, the child distracts himself or herself uh, or learns to distract himself or herself as a coping mechanism from something in the environment that the child is not liking or is hurting him. So, uh, you know, seeing uh, parents, um, for example, uh, argue, right? Uh, the child tries to block it out by getting distracted with something else or um of course uh if the the parent is um uh too busy or too distracted then the child feels the need to also do something to entertain themselves but they don't learn to stay with with what they what what they're with it's not something basically like Mata says that is that you come with it's some it's a process of defense i guess something yeah, in the and- environment and that could um, influence the neurologic development mm-hmm. as exactly. well. Because it does, but it does. Yeah, it does because it's it's this whole thing. It's they're both together. It's nature and nurture go compl- together. So yeah, I I would agree actually on on this that. And that's the things that we don't, uh, maybe are not paying attention to. And then what we have now is this, well, what can I put on my profile in terms of identity that include this, um, well, everything. I think we got a little bit lost now from the upside down, but we will. Well, no, I uh, I have the connection. I have the connection to the upside down, but just because we're talking about this and, you know uh, th- this uh, the disease the disease of of modern society um this is a good point to connect with eduardo galeano so when we're talking about the upside down you reminded me of this book that i read many years ago uh, patas arriba which means basically upside down and um upside down like basically in all the examples that we've mentioned is used as a representation of something that is wrong Right. And of course, we all already kind of question that whether there is something wrong with the upside down uh, or whether there's something that should be avoided. And we've said uh, in terms of psychology, no, it shouldn't. But the way uh, Galeano talks about it is um, same with that same duality. Upside down is bad. Um, But he uh, does an an analysis and exploration of uh, Latin America or the world in general under under uh, capitalism as well. And uh, he says the world that we live in now 
is upside down, right? Uh, and so he gives examples, right? So one of the ones, I, I, I just wrote a couple down uh, because I thought they're quite, I mean, he tries to be funny because the fact that we live in what we think should not be the case is kind of funny how we've ended up here, right? So he says, um, uh, for example, one par paramilitary group that was uh, in 1997 in Chiapas um, they, that were responsible for the massacre of Actel, the name was Peace and Justice, right? So it's funny, like it's, it, I mean, it's a tragedy, yeah. but it's, it's like what we used to say when we were, oh. when we were, when we were uh, teenagers, you and I, we used to say funny fucked up. Funny fucked up. And I, and in the end, you know, um, in terms of dramatic uh, genres, for instance, the most realistic genre is the tragic comedy. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. it's this mix of the two, which is what you're saying right now. So give us more examples. So another example is he talks about uh, Switzerland and uh, the, Switzerland has no unemployment or like he writes the book at the end of the 90s, right? So at the time, Switzerland had no unemployment and he goes to um, this meeting where uh, people proposed to work less hours without decreasing salaries. Right. Like it was proposed to work less hours without a decrease in salaries and the Swiss voted against it. Right. So he again is like, why? Why would you? Um, and then just something that he talks about, it. of course, in Mexico City, we understand it very well. And basically any Latin American city that has the inequality that we have, which is um, kids uh, grow up in 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 gated communities. Right. They very rarely have seen like the the reality of most of their of of their connationals, right? They don't go to Centro Historico necessarily unless it is to go to a posh restaurant, um, and they often know better um, other cities, for example, Paris or London or uh, Brussels than they know their own. So for, he says, of course, he presents that as a like as a contradiction in itself, that we're living in a world with these things somehow make sense, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also, well, one of the other things that uh, I will I will pave the way so you can finish our episode on Blita is uh, this other dichotomic view of um, completely Eurocentrist that has always seen Europe as a garden and the rest of the world as this jungle where they go and they, uh, well, you know, they conquer and they make it pretty <laughs> or, or they know what to do with it. This other thing of the knowing what to do with, with this jungle. And uh, well, why don't you share with us what happened in recent months? So Joseph Borrell last year, um, who is a high representative for the European Union, um, foreign affairs and something else, <laughs> made a very unfortunate comment that got, of course, a lot of uh, social media um, outrage. Um, he talked, he said uh, that um, Europe is a garden <laughs> and that they need to protect the garden. Uh, from because the because the rest of the world he literally word by word said the the rest of the world is a little bit like a jungle right so uh, I mean it's the colonialist 
mindset that obviously hasn't changed and that it's just often disguised with nicer words but it's that that's um and, and yet uh ironically right we were talking about this before we recorded it is in the jungle in those jungles um where there is a closer uh there's a more willingness to have a closer look at the upside down right you said there's festivals there's carnivals yeah. that's um I, there is an episode in Parts Unknown with Anthony Bourdain. I now I'm being completely like uh, ignorant. Uh, I don't remember the country where he's in, but it's either Southeast Asia or Latin America, and they do a three day uh, the jungle, you know, the jungle, <laughs> uh, three day festival where they just drink themselves in the jungle. Like actually, it's in the jungle, right? Uh, it's it's this community. Is this is this uh, um. A particular uh, group of people um, and they just drink and when you wake up and you drink more and you wake up and you drink more and you pass out and you drink and this lasts three or four days and Anthony Bourdain films it all and of course he's like drunk himself and like people get sick and it's just that's just it that's that's the whole thing and that the thing and I would say uh, again with the hillman it's that this the upside down and the willingness to get involved with it, it has to do with, again, another topic that we've discussed uh, on many other episodes, which is the other or otherness. It's, it's a path to otherness. Even the other in myself, me being drunk, me dreaming, mm. and... I would just want to say that in terms of this Brit that said those very um, unfortunate comments, he falls right into the basket that Galeano is describing because this man is a foreign affairs dude. And he has no sense of diplomacy, no sense of, you know, where to sip it. Maybe you can say that like at home to your wife and believe it, but your beliefs are not, you know, the thing that makes foreign policy, man. <laughs> your beliefs. That is, um, what's his name? Who says beliefs? Louis C.K. Louis C.K. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. I like I yeah, 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 we can we can say goodbye. We can close there. Um, so anyway, we hope to uh, have more of you listen to us. We hope to not take another long break. We hope to come up with things that are interesting to listen to and to discuss and that you continue to listen to us. Um, and we're happy to be back. Very happy. So my name is Andrea Martinez. My name is Andrea Padilla. We are in such a link. We got a link.